0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: Davis steps under center.
0: Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. He'll get the ball to McClendon. He has- oh, He doesn't get it.
1: Heel Tough Blog Podcast. What's going on, guys? It's another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Your host Anthony Pagnatta here with you guys, as always, by myself today. Uh, but we are going to update you a little bit on the transfer portal. What's going on with Carolina? Uh, they who's uh, entered their name in. Who has Carolina brought in since the last time that we updated you? Of course, that was just two days into uh, the start of guys entering their name into the transfer portal. The portal itself not officially open until tomorrow, uh, but we are going to make sure that we got you up to date on everything that is going on. A couple big names that have entered for Carolina recently, and of course Carolina has their uh, potential new quarterback for the 2024 season in place, or at least someone that is going to be competing for that job is the only incoming transfer so far still very very early carolina uh, actually landed uh this player and it was i believe the second player that uh committed to another school in the country did it before he took a visit to chapel hill so we'll tell you all about that we have taylor tannenbaum of the acc network she stops by with us as well to tell us a little bit about what she saw last saturday night On the sidelines in Raleigh when it came to Carolina. Did she see any sort of fire from these guys? Was there anybody that was angry? We'll ask her that question and a little bit about the future of Tar Heel football. What she thinks could be on the horizon for this team as they enter. A little bit of uncertainty now with Drake May leaving and uh, you know potential staff changes that could be on the horizon. but. at this point, don't really know uh, if there's going to be any moves that are made. And before we get out of here, we'll tell you where the experts have Carolina landing in their bowl game. It doesn't look like it's going to be the original destination that we were hearing for most of the week. It seems like some of those predictions have shifted, so we'll tell you. And, uh, a lot of it also based on what happens today. If Florida State gets into the college football playoff or not. So regardless, we'll tell you where Carolina is headed and uh, where you know what that means for Carolina. Uh, we'll also have you uh, up to date on that once Carolina's bowl game is selected. Me and Josh expecting to do an edition of the podcast maybe sometime tomorrow or potentially on Tuesday. Uh, The thing is, is we just have to figure out, we've got some internet connection issues that are going on right now. My internet is horrible, uh, as you guys witnessed yesterday, and that's the reason we're re-recording this edition uh, on the audio side of things only. Uh, We're trying to get it figured out, but as of right now, not sure of what exactly we're going to have to do with uh, the issues that we're having. So, just hang in there with us, we really appreciate it for those of uh, you guys that have become... Routine watchers of the podcast. We hate that right now I'm not able uh, to get a strong enough internet connection. Uh, I know you know, for some people it may be a, a, a blessing in disguise. I know I, I'm not the most uh, video-centric fella in the world. Uh, but at the same time, I know you guys have really, really liked that stuff, especially as we've gotten towards the end of the season. And now we're getting into the transfer portal times. You know you want to stay up to date, so this is the best place to do it, so we'll keep you uh, abreast on everything that's going on for Carolina. Uh, but yeah, let's get into the transfer portal itself. It's what you guys want to hear right now, and uh, there's plenty of things going on. It's it's free agency in uh, in college sports, and I, I mean, man, it has been crazy. Carolina uh, already starting to see some guys that are entering the transfer portal uh, at a pretty high rate. I mean, there's 10 guys already in the transfer portal for Carolina. Uh, that includes a couple of walk-ons who we'll tell you about here in just a second, um, but it's still uh, you know a group that uh, is is pretty significant in terms of the size. Uh, I think it ha- really has more of an effect on the depth, uh, but at the same time, I-, I think it's something that you know Carolina hasn't really lost a huge name just yet. So it feels like for the most part uh, they're doing their jobs in keeping these guys around. But the other thing is we don't really know. Uh, if there will be other big names that could potentially enter because we have to see what the staff changes are that Carolina makes. Mac Brown says that uh, he's going to make staff changes. He's going to be aggressive. That's what we've heard from him. I don't know if that's going to be the case because as of right now, there haven't been any moves, and it's really hard to believe that there haven't been any moves because, I mean, we, th- this is a team that did not finish the season the way uh, that many expected them to, so... Who knows? We have to wait and see. That will determine a lot about what happens uh, for Carolina. But uh, let's you know, look at the guys that are already in there. Last time we were on, we told you, Kamari Morales uh, was the first name to enter. Kedrick Bingley-Jones, uh, the second. Jefferson Boaz and Elijah Green uh, entered as well. So those were the four that we knew of at the time. Not really any significant losses there uh, for Carolina. The next few days were focused really on special teams. uh, And, you know, some guys that are reserve players, Jalen Brooks, a guy who played a lot on special teams these last couple of years, also was a depth linebacker. He enters, walk-on player though, so it doesn't free up a scholarship for Carolina. Same with Milad Ajaypour. Uh, And a linebacker that, again, buried deep, deep on the depth chart. Uh, Didn't even dress for a lot of games this year, uh, but did have some times where he did play on special teams. Most of that came last year. Uh, But then you get to Ryan Coe, the backup kicker. Uh, He started the year as the starting kicker, but when Noah Burnett took over, started succeeding the way that he did. Ryan Coe uh, never returned to the lineup. Now, he did have an injury um, it's kind of unclear as to whether or not that was something that lasted throughout the year or if that was something that uh, you know, he dealt with, was able to come back, uh, but chose not to in order to preserve an extra year of eligibility. It looks like that could be what ended up happening for him. So he's now in the transfer portal. He'll be looking for his fourth destination, but he is a grad transfer, so it doesn't matter where he ends up, he will play. Cole Maynard, the punter, uh, he was a guy that was a reserve punter for Carolina this year, but more importantly, he was the holder for Noah Burnett. He's been the holder for him each of the last two years, and he's had a lot of success doing it. Noah Burnett uh, has you know, been pretty accurate for the most part. He faded a little bit down the stretch of last year. Both uh, from you know what we can tell, and again, not experts at uh, holding and, and the techniques that you have on special teams, it uh, did not look most of the time like it was his fault. He did a really good job. Uh, that relationship between holder and place kicker is an important one. Now, Carolina will have plenty of time to establish a new one for Noah Burnett with whoever will take over for him. Uh, but that is an area where you know Carolina special teams wise hasn't been great. Losing a guy like that. You never know the type of effect that it can have. But it it seems like this was something that was on the table once you saw Tom McGinnis take over the punting duties after uh, Ben Kiernan went down for the season. That's the other element of this. Ben Kiernan uh, will not be back. At least that's the expectation. I do not actually remember him walking on Senior Day. So uh, that is certainly something. I, I was thinking about that the other day. He did not walk, but there is no way that he still has eligibility left based on uh, what we've seen from him in the past. I mean, he played uh, all five years that he was here at Carolina. Got the extra year, of course, because of COVID. Um, but he played in just about every game. He was the team's starting kicker, uh, and then this year played in five. But I don't know. Maybe with five games, they'll they'll give him a little bit of a reprieve. I know they've started doing that for bowl games. Uh, the if it, the fifth game for players is. A bowl game, they don't count it against their eligibility. So who knows? Uh, but if he is gone, that means Carolina uh, will not have their top two holders from a year ago. Uh, Kiernan held for Ben, uh, for Ryan Coe, excuse me, before he went down uh, with his own injury. Of course, he hurt his leg uh, after uh, you know a block punt picks up the block punt. Didn't get the first down, but got close enough to where they called it a first down in the game against Syracuse and was lost for the year. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to see. Uh, so some depth uh, there that probably gets called into question now at Punter, um, although they do have Lucas Osada that's coming in uh, as a in the 2024 class out of the high school ranks. So should be fine uh, on that front, and you can always find you know guys that will be walk-ons there. Uh, The bigger concern is the last two names that have been entered into the transfer portal. And it started uh, the other night on Friday with George Petaway announcing uh, or or rumors that he will eventually announce that he is in the transfer portal. I have not seen anything to this point as we sit here on Sunday morning uh, that says he is officially in the transfer portal. No confirmation from him. Uh, Nothing official from anybody uh, around the country, it doesn't seem. So, again, this seems like this is still just an expectation, which maybe that is a good thing. But it still wouldn't shock me if he does end up going. Uh, He did redshirt this year after four games to preserve a year of eligibility and typically when you do that uh, at this point it means that you're looking at your other options and more than likely you're going to enter. Although there were some rumors that he could potentially be redshirting and then trying to see if he can climb the depth chart next year and would still have that extra year of eligibility. Uh, The thing is is that you you look at where he's been on that depth chart. He's been buried below guys like, of course, Amarian Hampton at starting running back, British Brooks. Who, you know, all the years of extra eligibility I think have have played a factor in how this room has looked for a while and maybe some of uh, the, you know, discretions that the other running backs have had. Uh, Caleb Hood is a guy that, you know, the staff has really, really liked. He's done a great job. I mean, we thought he was a guy that would probably be fourth or fifth on the depth chart at running back this year. He was third. Uh, for the majority of the season after climbing over Elijah Green. Um, Elijah Green, you know, gets, gets buried with George Petaway on the depth chart. And honestly, Petaway was probably the fifth running back even behind Green. So, uh, you know, they try to move him a little bit into the slot in fall camp. They say, hey, we'll we'll see if we can get you some reps there. Uh, they wanted to do everything they could to try to get the ball in his hands at least a little bit to keep him satisfied. Uh, but it doesn't seem like there you know, there, there was enough there, although you do wonder if he doesn't end up choosing to redshirt, does he play a little bit down the stretch of the season in the slot where you saw guys like Nate McCollum, uh, even Doc Chapman to a certain extent, struggled to make an impact uh, in the slot. You never really know. So it would have been interesting, but if he enters, it makes a lot of sense. And the thing with that is is that now the running back room looks a lot different. The depth uh, theres I'm not going to say it becomes a concern. Uh, It's really more about the future depth of this room. Um, You look now, Amarian Hampton is not going anywhere. Uh, He's going to be there for Carolina. He's going to start next year for the team, as you would expect. Then you're going to have backup running back Caleb Hood. He's a guy that, again, staff really likes. Catches the ball well out of the backfield. More of a physical downhill runner in between the tackles. Needs a little bit of better blocking, but still very solid backup that we've seen produce in his time at Carolina. Then you get to the rest of the group. There's only two other guys that would be on scholarship as of right now. Carolina has only recruited one running back in each of the last two classes. Uh, It starts with Jordan Louis, the true freshman who is on campus right now for Carolina. uh, Was a part of that room this year, so he'll have a little bit of uh, you know seasoning under his belt. But the thing is, is that he's never played in an actual game. He played a little bit against Campbell, but has never really seen any sort of significant snaps. He would be your third running back, you would imagine, as of right now. And then you're really hoping that. The guy that is your running back in the 2024 class, Davian Gauss, at this point you need him to early enroll um, just in case. You don't really know. We've seen it before. This running back room has gotten banged up. It's certainly possible. And Carolina really needs to have a little bit of depth there. So hopefully Davian Gauss does enroll early for Carolina. But that would be your perceived fourth running back on the depth chart. The only other running back that would be in the room, now they could go out and of course add more guys uh, as uh, in, in terms of walk-ons, uh, if they just want to have deeper depth But that they, that they know probably won't play. Uh, they could also go into the transfer portal if they really feel that concern about the room behind their top two running backs. Uh, but as of right now, Hood, Keelan Hood is the only other guy on the roster for Carolina at the running back spot. So I think you know this is going to be interesting to monitor moving forward how Carolina handles it because, yeah, at the end of next season, you'd imagine that Amorian Hampton is going to be a pretty highly rated running back when it comes to the NFL draft. He'll have a decision to make, and it would kind of be shocking, especially if the team struggles a little bit and doesn't have quite the year that they did this year, if he ends up choosing to head to the NFL And then Caleb Hood, he's out of eligibility. Next year will be his final year, so uh, it'll be, things will thin out pretty quick, and at that point, you would have just two scholarship guys, now that, you know, Carolina still has the 2025 recruiting trail that they can do some work on, but you would have two running backs on the roster, and, and... more than likely, neither one would have significant experience, that would be your guys heading into next year. So the transfer portal at running back could be a huge deal next season, and that's the thing. It really feels like there could have been opportunity here for George Petaway. Uh, I know, you know, as the third running back, Marion Hampton as the number one, that third running back did not see a lot of carries this year. But the thing is, is that George Petaway, you, you really wonder if he was that third back this year, would he see more reps than Caleb Hood saw this year? Because Caleb Hood, physical, downhill runner, um, British Brooks was kind of like that. I think he was, you know, not, not nearly as physical as both Hampton and Hood. Uh, But that's the thing, is that Hampton and Hood are very similar types of players. They're guys that are going to thrive in between the tackles. Neither one of them uh, is going to beat you with a ton of speed. That's not to say Amari and Hampton isn't fast. He has that good combination that we talked about so much of speed to power. But at the same time, I I think that you kind of need somebody that can change the game with just pure acceleration and speed out of the backfield, and I don't think Carolina's really had that in the last few years. I thought, you know, that was Elijah Green um, before he sort of built himself up a little bit differently, uh, heading, you know, before last season, and we saw the way that he played towards the end of last year. Um, this is a guy, though, in George Petaway that I feel like with how quick he is, um, and you know, I, I think just the pure speed that he would provide. He would be a game changer for Carolina in that backfield and would really be a change of pace back like we've heard so much in the past that teams have used because you would go from a guy that really could you know, just beat you down in between the tackles to somebody that's going to test some of your guys on the outside with their speed. So not to mention his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield uh, that's that's gonna hurt for Carolina if they don't have him. Uh, the other guy that enters the portal, that's a pretty significant one, is Andre Green Jr., wide receiver. Uh, he's just in his second year at Carolina, a redshirt freshman this year, but he's gonna enter the transfer portal for his final three years of eligibility. Uh, and this one, this one stings for sure uh, for Carolina because this is one that a uh, really talented young guy. Uh, he had some opportunities, you know, saw him at the end of last year in the bowl game against Oregon, and he was fantastic. Uh, again, didn't get the ball thrown his way a ton. Kobe Pesor was the guy, but that there, there wasn't really the rapport there with Drake May and Andre Green Jr. for him to get a ton of targets in that bowl game. We thought this would be the offseason where we would see him take a significant step up, That did not happen. He sort of got buried on the depth chart behind. You know, Tez Walker comes in from the transfer portal. That one makes a lot of sense. J.J. Jones, uh, you know, he didn't end up winning the starting job, believe it or not. You go all the way back, it's honestly shocking to believe at this point. Uh, That was actually Gavin Blackwell who won the job, who really stood out in fall camp. So they went with him out there. And then, of course, J.J. Jones was a guy that did it last year, was able to build off of it this year. Uh, So he gets buried behind those guys on the depth chart and never really is able to make an impact. Saw some pretty significant reps early in the season, but when he was on the field, he just wasn't able to be the guy that we thought he was going to be able to be. But the thing is, it was still early in his career. You were hopeful that maybe this coming offseason he'd be a redshirt sophomore. Maybe this was where things could click, and there would potentially be an opportunity there for him, uh, considering the fact that Tez Walker still has to make a decision on the NFL. uh, And and to be honest with you, I mean, Gavin Blackwell, I get it. Gavin Blackwell, you know he's a guy that stands out in spring and fall, but when it comes to getting on the field and making the plays, it seems like both times that we've heard he's going to take a step forward, he just doesn't. So I feel like there was an opportunity there for Andre Green Jr. to potentially, at the least, be the third wide receiver, potentially be a guy that starts for Carolina next year, and it would have been really helpful to have someone with his jump ball ability as a red zone threat, but now it appears that he's uh, he's gone, he entered the transfer portal, actually there's no appears, he did, uh, I forgot about that for a second, he did actually confirm on Twitter that he is entering the transfer portal. So. Uh, that one stings for sure. Carolina's got to find a way uh, to you know, sort of replace that sort of talent. Although the good news is is that this is a position that Carolina has recruited uh, at a pretty high level. And maybe that's part of the reason why he ends up entering the transfer portal is because he sees what's coming in behind him and what is already in place in the true freshman. Uh, Chris Culliver still there. I- I'm still a guy that thinks that at some point Soon He is going to be a big-time player. Uh, Compared him a lot to De'Ami Brown, I think that the opportunities are going to be there for him, and I find it hard-pressed to believe that he is not going to find a way to make a pretty significant impact. Christian Hamilton, another really talented guy, can play in the slot or on the outside. Paul Billups II, another guy that really is anchored to the outside, a guy that can win some jump balls. So maybe that's the guy that Carolina looks to to sort of replace the role of Andre Green jr and be that guy that you know could be the future of the red zone offense and you know then you look at the guys that are coming in in this next recruiting class uh, Javarius green will not play on the outside pure slot receiver uh, smaller guy uh, but exactly what Carolina needs in there. Uh, it really comes down to the two guys uh, that are the headliners in this class. Not to say Javarius Green is it, but two four-stars in this class. Jordan Shipp, who I think has shown us his entire senior year of high school that he is more than capable of being a guy that can come in uh, and eventually be a very significant contributor for Carolina. And then uh, you got Alex Taylor, who didn't have the greatest senior year at Grimsley High School, but is still a really, really good player, complete receiver, and one that Carolina has a lot of hopes for. So, I mean, with all those guys potentially having an impact on the outside, I think uh, that could have been part of the reason why Andre Green Jr. enters. But you hate to lose talents like him and Petaway. You brought him in. There were so many uh, expectations for both of those guys. And the other thing that is a little concerning about that is that both of those guys are... Two of the biggest names that you landed in recent years out of the state of Virginia. So now you've seen Tony Grimes, George Petaway, and Andre Green Jr. leave. Uh, You still have Zach Rice at this point, but that's another guy to sort of keep an eye on because I think he thought he would have a more significant role for Carolina uh, at this point of his career. Now, injuries have been a part of the reason why he hasn't been able to climb the depth chart, but at the same time... That was a factor for Kedrick Bingley-Jones, and we saw him enter. Guys eventually get frustrated with the fact that they're not seeing more significant playing time. So uh, Carolina, you know, they've gotten the guys out of the state of Virginia. Dre Bly was a big part of that, and maybe that's part of the reason why some of these guys are not nearly as forgiving about the fact that they're not climbing the depth chart is because their lead recruiter is no longer here. Uh, but at the same time, I think... You know, you wonder how this will affect Carolina in the state of Virginia moving forward. It seems like Georgia is starting to become more of a focus with the staff that Mac Brown has brought in, Florida as well, but certainly you never want to lose a talent-rich state like Virginia, and this will not make it any easier to recruit that state with uh, some of the guys seeing that uh, the recruits that have landed there have eventually entered the transfer portal. Uh, so now let's, uh, let's transition over, talk a little bit about what happened the other night in Raleigh. And we're going to do that with ACC Networks, Taylor Tannenbaum, she dropped by with us earlier this week. Again, wanted to get this out earlier. Um, schedule-wise, just weren't able to do an addition. And then yesterday, when I was able to do an addition, unfortunately, everything went haywire. So we actually talked to her for about 25 minutes. I cut out some of the stuff at the end about uh, her talking about the ACC championship and all that stuff, because none of that stuff matters now, unfortunately. And it's why I you know, probably should have been more aggressive at trying to get this edition up. But I wanted to let you guys hear some of the stuff that she had to say about Carolina and mainly about what she saw and observed from the sidelines with last week's game in Raleigh. Uh, we all had a lot of questions about you know, the mindset of the team and what did she see on the sidelines. So here's me with uh, Taylor Tannenbaum of the ACC Network. All right, we now have the chance to talk to Taylor Tannenbaum. She is one of the best covering the ACC right now. She does it for ACC PM. You can see her uh, weeknight or on television. Uh, now I'm blanking. Of course I'm blanking because I don't have it in front of me. What time is the show on, Taylor?
0: Four to seven, but sometimes it's randomly three to five. So just make sure you're locked into ACC Network all the time.
1: (laughs) There you go. Well, that's the the best way to do it. She also is on the sidelines for the ACC Network primetime game of the week. She did it all throughout the year. She had multiple stops in Chapel Hill. uh, But, of course, she was on the sidelines the other night in Raleigh for Carolina's game against NC State, if you want to call it that. uh, I think that's kind of where we got to start, Taylor. That was – About as bad of a performance as you could have in a rivalry game. Um, I I just the first thing that that I think we got to start with is, you know, Mac Brown said it looked like a team that was unprepared. Is that kind of what you felt like just watching it on the sidelines? Was that this was a team that just wasn't ready for this type of game? And and how does that happen against a rival like NC State?
0: So unprepared is a interesting word because I know during the week, Mac Brown said they were so banged up, they had a lot of injuries that they didn't even get to practice in pads. They went in shorts and shirts, which a lot of teams this time of year, so I know he's not going to use that as an excuse. I know game plans were put in. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, once the game started, it felt like one team played with passion and the other didn't. That's what it felt like to me. It looked like pregame. North Carolina was locked in. They weren't super verbal. It looked like everyone was eye on the prize. They had talked all week about disrespect and feeling like last year when NC State planted the flag in the middle of the field at Keenan that they felt disrespected. So it felt like pregame, they were ready to come out there, do less talking and do more playing. But once that thing started and they got hit in the mouth, it didn't feel like anyone stepped up and was really like, hey, we're good. It's all good. It's going to be fine. Let's go out there. It felt like NC State gained momentum and UNC completely lost it. And it just felt like the passion was not there. And I'm not quite sure why. I can't put my finger on it. Um, Because I do think they have good leadership and they have outstanding players. But it felt to me like one team was playing for something and the other team, once it felt like they got punched one time, they couldn't recover.
1: Yeah, I, I, the biggest thing, and, and one of the main reasons that I wanted to get you on, because your perspective on this is probably one of the best that we could get. What was it like on the sidelines? Because watching at home and being someone that, that, that roots for this team, that covers this team in, in you know some sort of way, it was frustrating because it did not seem like there was a lot of emotion. It seemed like a lot of guys were kind of just lost, were standing there confused. What, what, what did you notice from the sidelines? Was there anybody that was angry or, or trying to motivate guys on the sideline?
0: No, not necessarily. Uh, Drake May is never a super rah-rah guy. He'll go up to people and, and high-five them and say, hey, we got this, you're good. He's not a loud, vocal, going to get emotional kind of guy. So that's not mm-hmm. weird. If, if people were watching that and seeing Drake kind of sitting in his thoughts, that's what he does. I don't want anyone to look into that at all. Defensively, I didn't feel like that either. Charlton Warren's the co-defensive coordinator, and I I stuck around his huddle a little bit because I always learn something when I watch him. Mm -hmm. And he was telling them really deep into the game, it was almost like the third quarter, like, chill out. Um, Calm down. You guys aren't communicating. Communication was going to be a big thing. Uh, with this offense uh, that they were going against with Robert and I and what they do with number 10 Casey Concepcion and Mm -hmm. and kind of the different positions they put him in they were going to have to communicate and they just simply weren't doing that Uh, but on the sideline like I said it didn't feel like there was a passion to make sure that this wasn't going to get out of hand it truly didn't feel like that and I don't know what that stems from don't know Mm -hmm. if that's for the lack of hitting each other during the week don't know if that's a lack of hey, we've been in this position before and we're tired of it. And then you just kind of hang your head because last year ended very similarly with a streak um, that wasn't positive. It was downhill instead of uphill heading into postseason play. Um, I'm not sure what it stems from, but it didn't feel like on the sideline that they were galvanized, that there were people that really wanted to, I wouldn't say uplift because no one was putting people down, but that was standing there being the rah-rah dude. I didn't see it.
1: And, and and that's one of the biggest things that's that's kind of concerning. You kind of want to, I mean, we we heard from Mac Brown, you know, when he came back that he wanted to be a calmer coach. And that's fine. I understand that, especially at his age. But at some point, like, you need some fire. Like, you want to see something like what you saw at Texas. You don't need to be a guy that's, getting in guys' faces. Like, look, I, I'm a guy that's a New York Giants fan when it comes to the NFL. I don't need Brian Dayball on my sideline. I don't need you yelling at, at Drake, yelling at these dudes. But, like, i just like to see somebody that's really – gets gets a little ticked off that, hey, we're not playing well. You know, if, even if it's a player that says we need to step up. And I, I think that's, that's the frustrating part. Now, do you – yeah, I, I think a lot of the conversation from Tar Heel fans revolves around Mac Brown and he says in the post game press conference that he's going to be back. Mm-hmm. Do you think that this could be a Mac Brown thing? You know, we heard with Roy Williams when he retired in his retirement presser that he just felt like he was sort of not able to connect with this generation of guys. Do you think that's possible for Mac Brown and and that Mm. maybe it's just not working late, especially when they get late in the year and something goes wrong? He just can't get these guys back on track?
0: I do think it's fair to say that there's a fire that's lacking. I do think that's fair, but I don't think it's for Mac Brown and a lack of connecting with his players. I think, you know, and he's talked about it in meetings before and his second go-around after leaving to go to TV for a little bit and coming back He's learned to love a lot more, right? Love on your players more. So I don't think there's a lack of connection there. He loves his players more than he ever has before, um, but I do think there's a fire aspect to it that I don't know if it's not him or if there's you know people you need to put in place for that um, that you need to find that they are lacking that and and that's something Mac Brown's going to have to look within about and look at his staff and he's also said that in his meeting this week um, if something's broken you gotta fix it and don't wait to do it so that's something he's gonna have to evaluate this offseason because something is broken the way that they have finished the last two years with a quarterback who's potentially going to be a number one overall pick with four stars all over the field with dudes with a really good coaching staff in place as well something is broken and needs to be fixed so he will look at that I don't there is a, I would agree that there's a lack of fire in some capacity, but I don't think it's for a lack of Mac Brown being able to connect with his players. I think he does that to the best of his ability. I think he loves on them more than he's ever done before because he's learned a lot about the game. Um, but certainly he's going to have to look in the mirror too and, and figure out if there is something that he needs to fix. Um, I'm not sure what that is, but that's what the next week or two is about really because this is when a big shift is going to happen. It's the dead period right now, and then next week the portal opens up. Uh, and you're going to have to have some real conversations.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, and when I say connection, I, I, I maybe that's the wrong way to go about it. Like, I do think that he clearly, through, with his recruiting, he's still having success connecting okay. with guys. I just wonder on game day if maybe the message that he is sending is not really getting home with these guys. And if it's, you know. And that could, it,
0: that could be part of the problem, and that's right. something that needs to be looked at. That could be part of the problem. Look, I'm not in the locker room to know exactly what's set or in their pregame meeting at the hotel um, as much as I would love to be. Uh, I know he's a motivational guy. He'll bring pieces into the conversation on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays, Um, but I do think there's an element too that that has to be placed on the players, right? And um, you can put in a game plan and you can say what you want as a coaching staff, but at the end of the day, you have to have the guys – you know, Mac has said it before. I'm not in between the lines during the game. Yeah, I can say everything I want to say, but at the end of the day, you got to go finish. You got to go play. Uh, so they do have great leaders on this team, but for whatever reason, they're not able to close, and I don't know what it is.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably the best way to put it because I've seen the same thing. I think some of their leadership uh, has has been good for really the past few years. I've thought there are guys on this team that can really motivate. It seems like, especially before games, you see guys like Kamen Rucker, Cedric Gray, very vocal guys, but, like, it just doesn't translate. Let me ask you about the defensive side of the ball um, in particular because you did a couple of games early in the year with Carolina, and the defense, there were times where it looked like they were progressing and there were things to build on. And then all of a sudden, down the stretch of the year, they just completely fall apart. The other right. night was, I think, to me, it has to be the final nail in the coffin for Gene Chiswick, but I, at this point, I don't know. Um, what, what, did you, what do you think changed with this group? Was it just a confidence thing, or what
0: happened? I feel like this group has confidence. I don't think they lack confidence. That's one thing. I don't think they lack confidence. They truly believe in themselves. I wish that I knew, and I think Gene Chiswick wishes that he knew as well. Uh, because he saw a much better team too in the beginning of the season when we would meet with him. He's like, this is much more fun than it was last year. Uh, They made some great additions defensively. Cayman Rucker was put in a much better position this year to do what he does, and that's get after a quarterback, right? So it felt like they were utilizing their pieces much better than they had in years past. I don't know why they fell off. The gap control got poor, um, and it just never seemed to rebound after a couple of games where they were just gashed on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly the Elijah Huzzy injury in this NC state game in particular Definitely. was felt, um, he was a transfer in, um, and was such a key component in what they were doing, especially communication wise at that star position. He can do so many things and I think in, especially in this last game, that was a problem. The Clemson game as well. Um, mm-hmm. before that he was injured very early in that game. DJ Jones, who was a converted uh, running back, had to fill in for him in relief, who was really, really sick that day. Just nobody really knew about it. He played 70 snaps in that game and was on IVs that morning. Um, Didn't even know if he was going to even dress out for that game. Uh, So I do think there was a communication problem, too. Um, So I think a combination of all the things is the message that's being relayed. Is not necessarily being communicated effectively when they are on the field, and there's some kind of panic. And for whatever reason, they start off strong and cannot finish. And I wish I knew the answer, and I know Chiz does too.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's, and we heard some of that down the stretch of the season. I think it was the Georgia Tech game.
0: Yep, uh, yep. said
1: Gray said something. Uh, that's right. That was that was the night game. He said something in the post game presser about the commute. W- w- I couldn't get. The, the right play calls communicated or something like that um and yeah I do I, I really wonder is that you can't get it communicated to players on the field like they're not understanding and it's on them for not doing the work behind the scenes is it too complex what Gene is trying to get set up like and there's there's so many things and that's what's so frustrating I think as a Tar fan because early in the year it felt like okay, they figured something out. I think fatigue definitely set in. I mean they, they had so many guys Rucker, uh Cedric Gray Power Eccles uh you, you had uh Huzzy that was playing a ton of snaps. Biggers played a ton of stuff like it was the same guys so you got to start rotating more. but like it, when you got when they needed a performance from these guys, they just weren't able to step up the other night. Now know look the offense wasn't great the other night either. Um, I think there are definitely some people that are questioning what this means for, for Drake may overall. I think we know that, that Drake may, um, is, is gone. Yeah. But you know, when you look at Drake may, I've seen some people and I had a guy the other night when we were recording the podcast, reacting to the game, told me that he doesn't think that Drake may is anything special. Um, I I do not
0: agree with that at all.
1: Okay. I was, that's where I was going with that. Like, What do you think about people that question him based off of this year's performances against Clemson and State? And and even last year, sort of what we saw from down the stretch.
0: I think it's a total team effort, and you can only ask him to do so much. Uh, His Mm -hmm. receivers have to create separation. Look, Clemson defensively in that secondary, they were all over those North Carolina receivers. So you have to hold it one extra second, and you're going up against a Clemson defensive front that's really darn good um so I think that's a factor in and of itself and against State, they're one of the top look the, the last couple of games of the season for North Carolina were three of the toughest defenses they were going to have to play this season mm-hmm. and that's that's the reality of the situation they knew that going in um I think you saw the guts of Drake May first while he sprained his ankle very late in that game and he was hurt mm-hmm. I saw him at that 10 he was hurt he was not going to and this game on the sideline. There was no way that was going to happen. He was going to ride and die with this team, knowing full well they were about to walk off that field with an L. He rushed for 100 yards. When they could not find a productive run game with Omari and Hampton, he took it upon himself to do so. I I think maybe the numbers aren't what they were last year. I do think they leaned on the run a ton more this year, which also skews those numbers quite a bit for Drake May. But you saw even in the NC State game, uh, the throw he made – to John Copenhaver for the touchdown was an incredible throw. There, there's very a handful of guys, even in the NFL, who could struggle to make a throw like that. He's still a spectacular talent. His upside is massive. He is mm-hmm. still very young. He's like 20 years old. I'm not. I don't even think he's 21 years old yet. Um, the way he processes, uh, the way he studies, he already studies like an NFL talent. I've asked him about what his routine is before or after a game. He looks at film on the way home. He looks at film in bed that night. He watches the TV copy kind of as a fan as well to get a different perspective with other angles to listen to the analysts as well because he's going to learn something from that. He then goes in and watches with Coach Lindsay, and then they watch it as a team as well. This is, the, this is a guy who's more competitive than majority of the people you will see on a football field. He cares more than anybody else and he has the raw talent. Um, at the NFL level, it's a little bit different. Everybody is elite, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he has to be put in the right position. But I think there it's only up from here for Drake May. He's, in my opinion, a generational type guy. I think pieces around him make a difference. and Maybe it wasn't the ending they would have hoped, but he can only do so much himself.
1: I mean, that's how I felt, and there are a lot of people that have pushed back on me that say your quarterback's got to step up in the most important moments. But, I mean, I've seen it the last couple of years. I think his offensive line falls apart on him late in, late in the year. Um, I love Tez Walker. I think he did some great things for Carolina this year. I love the story. I thought the the route that he ran on the one interception, he just yes, he rounded it off. He barely tried to run the route. Like it, right. it was just, and part of that was probably frustration. But like, you got to like in the NFL, you're going to have to do that.
0: So like, and I think Tez will. I, in my opinion, I think Tez will come back because of that. He's still very raw. He's great when he's mm-hmm. running streaking down the field because he's fast and he's a beautiful watch when you watch him run. It's really pretty, um, but there are certainly things he needs to be better at. And that's mm-hmm. part of it too, right? Your guys have to step up around you as well. And, and look at the end of the day, last year, Drake may had guys who were played at the NFL level at the wide receiver position. You look at what Josh Downs is doing and, and green and, and, and what they were capable of. He didn't, you know, he, he gets a Tez who's still very raw and some guys who maybe aren't on that level just yet. Um, so I think that plays into the, the hand as well.
1: Well, so what do you think about the, the sort of the future moving forward, Drake? Uh, now, you know, going to be gone. Um, you know, I think it's 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 definitely part of the reason why you know Carolina fans are a little bit concerned about the overall direction of the program. Um, you know, I I think with the transfer portal, there there's a lot of hope. Although the get the name that was rumored yesterday, I don't think has a lot of fans excited. Max Johnson from Texas A&M isn't exactly inspiring a lot of confidence. Um, but still, I mean, do you think that this is a team that is still capable of, of finally getting over that hump or or have they seen the best of what they're going to see having uh, NFL quarterbacks and guys that are, you know, I mean, we still have to wait on Sam out, but guys that we expect to be pretty good NFL quarterbacks uh, for the last five years now gone?
0: Well, I think more than anything, the focus needs to be on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, for sure. And for whatever reason, it's, it's, it's been the weakness the last several years and, and it continues to be so. So that's I certainly think where the focus needs to be. What that means, I don't know um, if that's at the top down, if that's personnel wise, I'm I'm unsure. But that's certainly where the focus is. Um, you know, I do think if they win a bowl game. A I win season for North Carolina football is still pretty darn good. Well, it is underachieving when you have a guy, a quarterback, who should be a number one overall pick, and you had the expectations starting 6-0 this season mm-hmm. that you had. I don't know what the future holds. I really don't, especially with the transfer portal. It is, it's harder than ever to really know. I yep. do think that they will get the talent in. Now it's about making sure you put the talent in the right position, and I think um, that's what this offseason's is going to be about is really figuring out who they are. Like you got to figure out who you are without a Drake May Um, and uh, with your staff as well, uh, exactly who you want to be and, and go from there. Right. Um, It's hard to know what the future holds because there's so much unknown with the roster. And that's, I think the craziest part about college football now is you can sit here and try and predict it, but you can't. And look, Max Johnson, if this does come to fruition, had a much better year this year at Texas A&M. And I think he might be one of those dudes that a change in scenery could be very helpful. Mm-hmm. He's been through a lot at Texas A&M coaching changes and injuries and benchings and starting, and there's been a lot going on. Uh, so maybe a change of scenery could be good. Cause he did show some flashes this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that being said, I think there's a lot more to it. The defensive side of the ball is one, uh, the coaching staff needs to look itself in the mirror and figure out what, where the disconnect is at. Um, and then getting your players in the right position to succeed. Look, Chip Lindsay will be in year two if this if this stays status quo, which is a big deal. I think you know implementing your system in one year as good as it was will be better in another year. Um, so that has to be the jumping off point on both sides of the ball.
1: So we want to thank Taylor for stopping by with us. Always appreciate her. She is uh, one of the best. Uh, you know she does the sidelines, as I mentioned. Uh, talking with her as well as ACCPM her and Packer do a tremendous show uh, if you're somebody that loves the ACC, I would definitely suggest watching that uh, and she uh, you know is also very opinionated that's the one thing that you like about her. She will not hold anything back uh, so really appreciate her stopping by uh, with us and uh, you know ho- trying to help us figure out what is going on with Carolina and why. Uh, They struggled the way that they did the other night in Raleigh and down the stretch of the season. Well, let's transition and let's talk a little bit about where Carolina could be heading in their bowl game. At this point, it's pretty much different all across the board. and uh, This is pretty much the ACC at this point. There's not a lot known about where certain teams are going to head. Notre Dame plays a big factor in it. Florida State getting into the college football playoff plays a big factor into this. So ultimately, uh, you know, these are ones that you kind of have to take with a grain of salt. But Carolina was in more of that prestigious late December, early January type of range for the majority of the time here. But now, you know, the Pop-Tarts Bowl, that's one of the more prestigious bowl games. Carolina is predicted to go there by Bill Bender of the Sporting News take on Oklahoma State. Uh, You do have one prediction uh, still being held out for them to make it to the Gator Bowl. Kyle uh, Bongura of ESPN does still have Carolina against Tennessee uh, in that one. But other than that, it's pretty much the second tier of bowl games. Technically, I guess the third tier, because the first tier would be the Orange Bowl. So that third tier of bowl games for Carolina. Interestingly enough, Carolina not expected to go back to the Holiday Bowl from anybody. They've already been out there. Feels like the Holiday Bowl is going to go in a different direction. A lot of people think it'll either be Clemson or Miami. So that one's completely off the table. The next tier of bowl games is pretty much the Duke's Mayo, Sun Bowl, Pinstripe Bowl tier. Um, And look, the Duke's Mayo Bowl, it makes a lot of sense to bring Carolina back to Charlotte uh, it would be just unbelievably ironic if Carolina does end up back in Charlotte because that's the exact same way that Sam Howell closed out his career. Uh, you do wonder if that is the case with the game being in Charlotte. Is that a game that Drake May does want to play in because he has the connections as well, just like Sam Howell did to this area? Uh, and look, the the projections there, I mean, two of them, uh, David Keaton of the uh, Bleacher Report and Mark Schlabaugh of ESPN, both have them play in Kentucky. Seems like that's probably a pretty pretty solid bet. I've seen many people that have either Kentucky or Auburn going there, so either one of those matchups. I don't think that would be the worst thing for Carolina. Uh, Eric Smith of USA Today Sports, he has James Madison in this game. I cannot see that happening. James Madison is going to be put in a very nondescript smaller bowl game uh, the NCAA, I mean, they gave them enough problems as it was. I doubt they're going to give them that prestigious of a bowl game. Also, there are a lot of other SEC teams that are, you know, that, that, I mean, the Dukes-Mayo Bowl is some—it's uh, down the pecking order for the SEC, definitely. But it's not the bottom-tier bowl game. It's, it's still one that uh, you would expect with the amount of teams that are making bowl games uh, from the SEC that one of those teams would probably be in there. So that one to me seems a little outlandish. The Sun Bowl, the next uh, most popular destination for Carolina. Two uh, of the predictors see Carolina going there. Brian Fisher of USA Today Sports and Steven Lassen of Athlon Sports. They have Carolina taking on the same team, Oregon State. Uh, I gotta tell you, I really like this matchup uh, for Carolina. You've got an Oregon State team that will not have DJU. Uh, they more than likely will not have Damian Martinez their starting running back due to off-the-field issues. So there's a good chance, you know, and and they don't have their head coach. So there's a good chance Carolina could be facing a very shorthanded team. Uh, the argument against it would be with an interim coach. Could they be playing, you know, a, a little bit harder than Carolina would even be playing? But I think Carolina, they they got to know how important their bowl game is. To get to nine wins back-to-back seasons... I'm not saying that eliminates everything that happened, but you want there to be a a palate cleansing type win at the end of this, and you want people feeling going into the off season uh, that things are still in a solid spot, and that Mac Brown is taking this program uh, still in the right direction. So, I mean, I think that that's one of the more attractive ones that you could see. Uh, Brett McMurphy of the Action Network, he is uh, the only other one that has a different prediction than the ones that we've already told you. That would be Carolina going to the Pinstripe Bowl in, uh, in, in Yankee Stadium against Rutgers. That would be an interesting one. Rutgers would almost certainly basically be a home team in that one. There would be a a lot of Rutgers fans there. Uh, Rutgers is also probably a a really bad matchup for Carolina, if we're being honest. team that's very run-heavy, very good defensive team as well. So I think that's probably one that Carolina would like to stay away from love the venue, very prestigious, one that would be a lot of fun for Tar Heel fans to go to. That might actually be one that I would even try to consider getting myself up to at some point, but uh, that's definitely one that I think, at this point, Carolina would like to stay away from. So, really, the fact of the matter is, things are all over the board for Carolina. There's so many things that have to happen for uh, Carolina to land in certain bowl games, there's a chain of events that we have to see how they play out with the college football playoff before we end up actually you know, finding out where Carolina goes. Uh, I think we'll learn pretty quickly what range they will be in, and I think probably the safest bet, to be honest with you, is the one that the people that predict this stuff have popping up the most for Carolina. If I had to guess, I think it's the Dukes-Mayo Bowl. I think they're in that tier. I think... They feel like there's more of an attraction uh, in this area for Carolina than the other bowl games that are in that area. The only other thing that I would say is in that tier, uh, there is you know Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech also has a very big fan base here in Charlotte, so that could be another team that they potentially want to put in those seats. Virginia Tech also feeling a little bit better about their program than Carolina is, maybe more motivation to show up to the bowl game, whereas Carolina – would be looked at as one of those teams where fans won't show up because this is a bowl game that many of them especially in the middle of the season did not expect to be in so it'll be interesting to see how they balance it but uh, you know it, it, this is something we'll learn about here later this afternoon should be I think around like 2.33 o'clock is when they're saying that they're going to reveal most of those bowl games you know for the most part they'll be talking about the college football playoff uh you know semi finals and uh the New Year's Six bowl games those are the ones they primarily look at and this year I could take them a little longer to get to that considering Uh, how much controversy and back and forth a lot of people are having about the playoff field. But regardless, we'll keep you up to date on the website, heeltuffblog.com. Guys, make sure you head over there right now. Check out everything that we got going on, uh, on the, you know, both side of things. I got an article uh, that'll be uh, going up here shortly. Kind of lay those out again. I'll go a little more in depth on why uh, I like the matchup against Oregon State probably the most out of any of them. Uh, And also, Make sure you check out all the transfer portal stuff that we've got going on right now, guys. It is still that crazy time. Carolina hasn't lost anybody significant just yet, but it feels like this is going to be a little bit different than last year. Last year, it was a sprint to get into the transfer portal. Guys at the end of the season, and part of that was because you know they had to wait considering the fact that the team was in the ACC championship game this time around. Guys have already had those conversations. It seems like they're sort of dragging this out a little bit. Each guy kind of wants their own day uh, to to, for people to talk about them entering the transfer portal. Um, So we'll see how how much longer this goes on for Carolina. And again, the staff changes, if there are any, we'll have you covered on that front, and we'll also have you covered on the transfers that could come out of that. Uh, in the meantime, on the basketball side of things, Carolina with a big win yesterday, a big come-from-behind win yesterday to open conference play as they take down Florida State. A 22-0 to run for Carolina at one point in that game. Go back, read the article on the website. Josh has he covered on that front uh, on uh, win that sends Carolina to 7-1, and one, their best start since the 2017-2018 team, and we'll be taking you throughout the entire season, both on the website and on the Four Corners podcast. You can check that out. Same places that you're checking this out, wherever you listen to your podcast. Josh will also tweet out uh, those links and, and, and post them on Facebook, uh, just like uh, we have been doing uh, with this one and, and, and the other ones that he's done in the past. Again, guys, uh, really appreciate your flexibility. Hope this was a much better listening experience than yesterday. Uh, for those that are big watchers of the podcast, uh, I may try to turn this uh, into a waveform edition like we used to do, uh, just so that you guys have something. Um, I, I, I I hate that we're having to deal with this stuff. They're hoping that they can get somebody out here today to take a look at this internet and hopefully we can get it back on track but if not uh look you guys have loved the video editions of the podcast so much that we'll have to figure out a way to get it done uh so don't don't worry those video editions not going anywhere we've worked way too hard to get where we are at with those so uh we'll just have to work on the fly and figure out some solutions may not be as many editions of the podcast that we've had in the past but certainly uh we'll still make sure that gets done but for now uh, that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. Want to thank uh, you guys for listening. And as always, go Toriel.